And we're back with our next brew. It is going to be, let me see, let me pull it up. It is Rheingeist Franz. It is, uh, Franz is 5.4 and it's 25 IBUs. It says our automatically Oktoberfest ale traverse the palate with pumped up Munich and Vienna malt flavors, offering a rich, nutty, and uber German drinking experience. Rheingeist, here we go. Get the pour going. And again, whoa, lots of head on this one. <laughs> Did you pour it right, Aaron? Absolutely. It's Cicero affirmed. <laughs> and uh, this one is more clear than the last one. It has a slightly lighter color to it. It has a very light, flowery note on top of it. Oh yeah, that is definitely an Oktoberfest beer. It has that rich German flavor. That's a winner. Oh yeah. So we will definitely have to uh, talk about the comparison between the two of them by the end of the show. Yeah. Because well, I'm glad this was the second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. All right. <laughs> Without saying anything. <laughs> it's rich. I mean, it's. I, I don't want to go so far as bold because I, I I see bold as more of like an IPA or or a deep porter. This is more of a very well balanced German beer. So phenomenal, very good. Thank you, Rengast. <laughs> All right. So, question for you: Let's do a prophecy comparison because you have this awesome platform for teaching prophecy. So, ideas, so we have the millennials, and we, not generation, but actually prophecy, right? <laughs> then we have uh, things like we have preterist and partial preterism, um, as well as a millennialism. So, let's compare what is the differences between each one of those platforms. Sure. Um, I'm not one of the big scholars on all those, you know, all the subtleties and nuances and differences. And so anything I say, you know, double check it. And, um, and the truth is, is that every viewpoint has multiple views within it, yeah. multiple nuanced differences, right? So, so what I would say is, is, is just the most generalized form of, you know, if you want to look into this more. Uh, and I, by the way, I recommend... If you're interested in prophecy in this, like, you know, I want to know about, about the views out there. What are the views? The best thing to do is to get one of those books. There's several of them out there already. There are, you know, the four view books or the three views. It's, it depends on, you know, sometimes they have five views, but the multiple view books, and they're usually called, you know, like four views on the millennium, three views on the book of Revelation. And literally, they, they're they're scholars who best represent each position. And I think there's one called Four Views on the Millennium. I'm pretty I sure. I believe so, yep. Yeah, and, and I've read these books. And I think they're good because they're people who, who believe the views. So you're, you're not getting... Uh, the, the, you know, one of the worst things is, is to, to read the critique of another view through one view's eyes, you know? Mm -hmm. it's, right. Because it, there's bias and they don't understand it fully. But if you want to hear from the horse's mouth... 
but in a way that's consolidated, concise, and you don't have to, you don't have to read a whole book about it. Well, these four view books, you know, it's like, you know, 80 pages per view, and they've got to really uh, simplify it down to the most important elements so you'll learn, like, what's the most important things to know about this view? And then they defend it against the other guys. And, 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 and so it has a little bit of interaction, which is really, really helpful. And I recommend those books, you know, at the end of the day. But, you know, roughly the millennium view, you know, the problem with the millennialism, millennial stuff is the very notion of millennium. It, the millennium is one, like one Bible verse talks about it, you know, in the whole Bible. And... And it's highly symbolic and it's highly interpretable. And the truth is, is I think there's so many other things more important to focus on and to deal with. Yeah. But the millennium tends to be the sort of big picture organizing paradigms that everyone falls into. Right. And, uh, and yet, ironically, it's the most difficult, ambiguous concept in the whole Bible. So... Yeah. It's sort of dangerous to traffic in that, in my in my opinion, right? I agree. So yeah. you know, the, the millennium is in Revelation twenty, and but the the bottom line is is the millennium is understood as being a thousand year reign of Christ, and that's why it's so important because like when Christ returns, he's going to reign, right? Or at least that's what one view says, right? Right, yeah, <laughs> um, right, right. When Christ comes, let's put it that way. When Christ comes, he's going to reign. What is that rain going to be like? Is it on earth or is it in heaven? Uh, what is it, you know, what is a thousand years? Is it literal? Is it symbolic and all that stuff? But the, basically the dominant views come down to, what, you know, it starts out like, let's look at the 3,000 feet view. That's amillennial, premillennial, and postmillennial. Right. And that's all in reference to when that thousand rain, occur, rain occurs. Does the thousand rain of Christ occur before? This, the, the coming of Christ, pre-millennial, before the, Christ comes before the millennium, right? And then he sets up the millennium on earth. That's pre-millennialism. Or does he come after the millennium, post-millennial, after the So there's the millennium of his reign, then he comes. Or is it a uh, tr purely symbolic reference of his reign, Amil, Amil is a misnomer. It says it means without, but it doesn't mean without. It just means it's not an, an earthly reign. It's a spiritual reign. And so amillennialism sort of is that world of symbolic, but also uh, idealistic sometimes. But the idea is that Christ is reigning now. And, um, and uh, so, so, you know, but there's there's versions of that, various varieties. But those are the big three views, you know. But then there are within that, within those views, there there are um, there there are significant views that are influential. Like for instance, premillennialism is the most is the dominant influence, and then the second most would be amillennial. But premillennial is the world of belief that includes the left behind. And I like using left behind because it's a distinctive version of premillennialism, which is called dispensational premillennialism. Yep. That's, the, that's the view that most people know. That's the most dominant view. It's also, I would argue, the weakest, most absurd view if you really study the Bible. And I think it's dying out. Mm. 
And it's been changing over the years because it's dying out and, and scholars are recognizing we got to change things, right? But there are also various versions of premillennial, like historic premillennialism, which is sort of like saying, you know, the book of Revelation is not specific. It's just about all of history. Or, or let's put it this way. The book of Revelation is not about a specific, you know, limited time period with an antichrist and a tribulation. It expresses all of history. So various chapters in the book of Revelation are relevant to different time periods in history. And the problem with that view is that it's literally been changing every 10, 20 years. Every generation, their interpretations of what Revelation is applying to changes because it's not, it doesn't work out, right? Right. And then, um, and then the problem with dispensationalism is dispensationalism has been um, very popular because of Left Behind. And it's mostly rooted in this, this, this sort of idolatrous obsession, I would call it that, you know, that people consider uh, uh, insulting. But, <laughs> I, I, you know, if, if I would try to be, um, uh, if I would try to speak frankly, it's an idolatrous obsession with Israel, the, the geopolitical nation of Israel, uh, to the neglect of the church of Jesus yeah. Christ. If I were to be more gracious as I can, it would be that dispensationalism is a belief that all of the prophecies of the end times and such and the return of Christ, whatever you want to put it, call it, it's all focused around the geopolitical nation of Israel, which when the church came into existence because of Jesus, then the church becomes the dominant focus. But in the end times... Israel is going to come back into focus because that's what it's all about is the geopolitical nation of Israel. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Right. That is the weakest view in my mind, and I think it's dying out, and it will be dead um, uh, because a lot of it's rooted in focusing on the uh, prophecies that they think are related to Israel becoming a nation in 1948 or 1967. They keep <laughs> yeah. changing the dates, but the point is, is that they, they believe that, that um, it's all focused on the geopolitical nation of Israel that we know of now, right? Correct, yeah. So um, then there's, you know, whatever. There's massive problems with that. But, but, I, I, uh, was but that's with that. I was raised What's with that. I was raised with that. So I don't think you're being harsh at all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> It's pretty accurate. I was raised with well, that. Well, <laughs> look, look, to be honest, I, I, I'm trying to be more gracious about, when I talk about these things because I've noticed Mm-hmm. In the world of prophecy, there's extremes. There just sure. tends to be extremes. And oh, yeah. those who make the big money, those who are the most popular, this dispensationalism and the yeah. premillennialism, they do tend to be very dismissive and they call other views heretical. Yep. Right. And they don't acknowledge that there's a history of, if we're really honest, yeah. we have to acknowledge that, look, there's a history and a tradition for all the major views of godly men, um, and and so and 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 scholarly back back backing. Now, even though I believe all the ones are wrong, I would still admit, even though they're wrong, they do have backing of godly men and scholarship. Oh, I agree. But what the tendency is to reject the, the views you don't agree with and say, "Oh, it's not scholarly. There are you know, it's not godly. It's not biblical. You're heretics." You know, yeah. and 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 we're we're in a divided, polarized world, aren't we? That yeah. that. Everything's becoming, we're unable, everyone's just canceled politically. Everything's like you're either for the devil or for God in your politics. And, and like, there's no 
ability to have civil discussion anymore on mm-hmm. everything. And, and I see the same in, in prophecy. And though I do have firm convictions, you know, and, and I, I, I want to become more gracious because that's how I want to be treated. And I'm in the I'm in the I'm in a minority view that is being called heretical. Although mine's the most orthodox view of all, I would argue. But but nevertheless, um, uh, so there's that going on. And um, so I, I want to try to be gracious, you know, even yeah. though I'm not. They aren't. Many of them aren't. Very true. And some of them have been very gracious to me. I've been on podcasts of premillennialists who disagree with me, and they just want to give me a voice and and they want to hear other viewpoints, and they're very fair. Yeah, they've been very yeah. fair to me, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's not all. You know? Right. We gotta we've we've got to overcome this divisive, polarizing heart in, in, in how we interact with the views. Now, if we're gonna attack an idea, fine, but try not to attack the person, you know? Oh yeah. Try not yeah. to make these, you know, anyway, I'm going off no, on no, tangent, no, no. Oh, no, no, man. I, I we're with you, man. You know, I agree. I I consider myself more on the on millennial side, which I think is as close as you can get to your partial preterism. So, yeah, because yeah. It's, yeah, there's, it's there are connections between yeah. all of them and disagreements. Yeah. So, yeah. for instance, you know, I like to say so post millennial, you know, tends to be on the same side as amillennialists. We post millennialists. I'm a post millennialist, mm-hmm. but a post millennialist believes that. The, uh, the millennium of Christ is a symbolic reference to Christ's reign in heaven. The Bible says that very clearly. So, you know, we're not making that up, right? Yeah, and, right. and so a thousand years is a symbol for a long time. That's all it means, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, now, so we have the commonality with our millennials. However, uh, we, we can depart from them in that our millennials often tend to be more in line with premillennialists in the sense that they have a more negative or pessimistic view that Yes, but things are going to get worse uh, before Christ returns. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. Right. Whereas post-millennials have, post-millennialists have the, the more optimistic view that Christ's kingdom is going to grow on the earth and, and make the earth better. And, and uh, you know, because as more people become Christians, the gospel influences culture, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's not to say that other Christians don't deny that, but they tend to see, no, it's going to get worse and the Antichrist is going to come or some kind of beast or something. Yeah. And so post-millennialists have that difference. So there's, yeah, there's differences and commonalities. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, in some ways, you know, post-millennialists have commonality with pre-millennialists against the Amils. Right. Amils can sometimes be, be more generic in their interpretation of prophecy and say, you know, it's not about anything specific. It's just about God's history in general. Whereas pre-mills and, and post-mills will say, no, 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 prophecies are specific fulfillments in history, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. I, I mean, if you really do the research, you 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 should be you should discover that. Hey, I have commonalities and differences between each and every view. Therefore, yeah. Don't dismiss every view and every view if it's not your own. At least try to interact with it, and at least try to listen. You oh, know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It's so tough if, these if, days. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I were to take a, there's actually a, a divergence I I've seen myself in um, the Amil side because there's. There's a Protestant side to the Amils, and then there's, like me, there's the Catholic side. Um, and even then, there's small different divergences. Um, I can only speak for... What would you define the difference there? Because I, I don't necessarily know that difference. So most Catholics on the Amils side say that because of the prophecy inside of Daniel, where it says that there will be a kingdom step after that's everlasting, and it will slowly spread over and overtake the earth, we believe that the uh, 
that well, we believe that, that the Catholic Church is the fulfillment of that because it has spread across the entire world, and that our presence, the presence of the Church, sacred space, slowly overtakes the earth to make it better and better throughout time. And that's oh well, that's really cool. That that's cool to hear. Yeah, that's really cool because see, there were there I would say okay, so I'm a Protestant, but I'm a post mill, and I agree with you that everything you just said, except the difference is. I don't believe that that kingdom spreading is just the Roman Catholic Church, but it's yeah. more generic to the body of Christ over all the earth, which includes Protestants, Catholics, Baptists, yep. Pro- you know, whatever, you know, all of them. Yeah. Um, whoever believes in Jesus. So oh, yeah. we have. Yeah. So so there, you and I would have a, a very commonality then, and that's 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 really interesting. Absolutely, and and even in our own catechism, we don't really relegate all of that to Catholics. Um, there's a, a large segment of the of the belief system where even if you're not in the Catholic Church, if you believe in Christ, you're still part of that body, right? So, so there's sure. yeah. So so we don't relegate that just to us, but to the spreading of the gospel itself mm-hmm. and be, the believers of the body and yeah. That's really interesting here. I, I appreciate that. And that's where I'm a more ecumenical Protestant anyway. Um, but I know that there are you know the ones no no you know you. You know, the, the Roman Catholic Church is, you know, um, there are Protestants who would consider the Roman Catholic Church on the level of the harlot, to the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I'm not in that camp. I hear it. That would be um, that would be the camp I was raised in. Yes. I was raised in yeah, Okay, I was okay, raised, yeah. I was raised in it too. <laughs> no, I mean, believe me, I would have strong, I would love to have de- theological debates and I would, I have strong convictions about the falseness of some of the doctrines of you guys, but in terms of uh, saying, okay, look, we have commonalities, and, and you know, number one, we, you know, we have commonalities in the Trinity and understanding oh, yeah. Christ and His death and all that stuff. And 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 plus, I also don't, I don't, I take individuals. I don't take, yeah. like, I, I separate the individual from the system too, mm. because there are things in my reform system I don't agree with, right? So right. you can you can damn reform thinking, and I might agree with you on something, right? So, and I try to deal with Catholics in that way too, because I try to be, I, I try to say, okay, well, where do we have that commonality? And I found some. Catholics who who are like you know more devoted to Christ than other Protestants that I know. So you know, there's a you, we need to be a little bit more ecumenical in that that ability. And I appreciate that you guys then have that view of the even though the Roman Church is the dominant, it's like you you have a a, a way of trying to to include the rest of us in that in that in that paradigm. And I appreciate that because I think that's the attempt yeah. to try to balance. These things, these truths in Scripture that we find, and then how do you balance those with other things that seem to be contrary or whatever, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. So um, that that's all good. So, so there's um, now we get to the futurism and preterism, and within all these camps, there is. Uh, there is a way to approach prophecy. And here's where we get very gray, not gray, um, non-absolutist. Mm-hmm. Because um, there are two elements to prophecy fulfillment. Was a prophecy, any kind of prophecy, was it fulfilled in the past? Or is it yet to be fulfilled in the future? And those who believe a prophecy is to be fulfilled in the future are generically called futurists. Right. Those who believe a prophecy was fulfilled in the past are generically called preterists because preterist just simply means in the past. It's Latin, and it refers to fulfillment of prophecy in the past. Now, 
The truth is, is all Christians are a combination of futurists and preterists to some degree. We mm -hmm. believe a lot of the prophecies related to Jesus already happened. He would he died on the cross, right? Yep. Uh, but there are some things in the future. But the question is, which ones are in the future? And then that's where we, we, where we make the strong divergences in that, that, you know, this is where we, I'll use more generic titles like preterist and futurist to now say, look, we're all a little futurist. We're all a little preterist. Mm -hmm. We all believe Jesus died for our sins and that fulfilled the scripture in the past. But when it comes to the last days in particular, the end times, what is that? When does that occur? Um, the, the, the notion of preterism is the prophecies of the last days occurred in, some, in, the, in the first century. So the typical paradigm is, but, but within that camp then, some people believe, but there are still some of those passages that are yet to be fulfilled. But the dominant paradigm, the dispensational, the premillennial, they tend to interpret many more passages about prophecies, about lots of things. They interpret many more of them to be in the future. And so that's where you get into the nuance. And the truth is, is that you just got to deal with all these one-on-one, -on -one, you know, one scripture on scripture, because, you know, the, at the end of the day, some are, well, I believe that happened in the past. I believe that happened in the future, you know, and you can argue it either way. And, and so what I'm getting at is when I use the term preterist, I'm usually referring to the fact that these are the, those of us who believe the last day's prophecies are by and large fulfilled in the first century. Yeah. And however, there are some preterists who are called full preterists, and they believe they would argue that all of them, including the second coming of Christ, the last judgment, and the resurrection, those are all more spiritual and they're more, um, what's the word? Um, uh, symbolic. Symbolic yeah. or spiritual mm -hmm. than what we've traditionally thought them to be. Okay. Whereas partial preterists, which is what more I'm the camp of, we believe there's still some things in the future, the last judgment, the resurrection, right. and another coming of Christ that, that is in the future. But the difference, is, well, then how is that different from the futurists? Well, the futurists tend to have all these scenarios and they draw from passages that they say are about the future, but preterists would by and large agree, no, no, they're in the past. So the future scenario generically is there is still yet a rapture or some kind of rapture in, the yeah. in our future, and then a rise of an antichrist who then makes a deal with Israel, rebuilds the temple, you know, and there's a tribulation and all these things occur that that's the paradigm of the last days that most of the preterists, partial and full, would say, no, 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 that's in the past. So the preterists have disagreements within themselves, but at the end of the day, it's a matter of saying which prophecies are future, which are past. And really, that's all of us have to answer that. And the truth is, is I found that, you know, I've agreed with, there's disagreements within every camp. So yeah, to me, what it right. comes down to is, let's not talk systems. Let's talk passages. If you really want to, like, you know, get into the gritty, nitty gritty of things, because Systems have exceptions. Every system has exceptions. Yeah. Every system has holes and anomalies and problems if you study them. And anyone who says, no, no, this is the, this is the perfect system, you know, all the other ones dismiss, 
they don't know what they're talking about, and I wouldn't listen to them. Yeah, because I would say even my belief, my belief system, I have holes and anomalies, and I'm, I'm changing my opinion about some scripture passages even as we speak, you know? Like, mm. oh, I used to think that, you, that was in the future, but now I think that's in the past. Yeah. You know, so, so if we're honest, we need to be always open to the possibility of maybe my interpretation of this prophecy is wrong and it was fulfilled in another time period. Yeah. yeah. Uh, including the future. Maybe it is still in the future, you know? Yeah. So we need to all be open to that. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to urge. I'm trying to uh, promote within this, this world of prophecy is because there's just not a lot of discussion. There's a lot of uh, propaganda and one-sided yeah. sort of, you know, banging the drums and everyone else is a heretic, and it's just not—it's not productive, you know. Right, and it's very divisive within the church. Yeah. Very divisive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, even in our view, I'd say we probably in the amillennial Catholic side, I say there's there's probably three main thought processes, and uh, even though they're in Amil, um, one would see some of it as being more future. Uh, another one would see more of it as being more in the past. And then there's the cyclical view, and that's a very interesting view where they believe that prophecy is redundant and keeps repeating itself through time until the return of Christ. So I'd say that those yeah. those three camps right there, even within the yeah. Am- the Amal side. Well, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. By the way, I would call the what you're calling the recapitulation. I would call that the idealist view. Okay. The idealist view is the fact that you know these. This is prophecy that describes the kinds of things that occur over and over again, you know, so Christians will be persecuted, right? There will be a beast, there will be all this. And, 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 and the main purpose is we should just draw from the fact that God is with us, you know, God will overcome, you know, these kinds of elements. It's more generic spiritual truths Mm. that we are supposed to face persecution with. Uh, And which by the way, I would agree with, right? (laughs) Right. Um, But the question is, is it just cyclical or are there specific reference in these prophecies. So yeah, that's the debate. So, so there's all these different views. I do think though that the biggest problem right now is just this polarization. You know, the inability of people to truly, truly listen to one another. I mean, I yeah. listen, I get called, I get accused of being anti-Semitic. I'm oh, wow. like, this is slander. I that's... had to actually call them on the floor and say, dude, that's slander, man. That's bad. It's like, how dare you? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. just because when they get to the point where they see their weakness of their own view, if you can moralize your view and accuse the other side of being racist, you know, mm-hmm. that's the big one, right? Racist. Right, right. Uh, anti-Semitic, whatever. You know, any of these uh, accusations, it, you are able to dismiss them. And I've seen this even from scholars. You know, um, yeah. So it's oh, like okay. the question is, what does the word of God say? Not as what does my system say? interpreting your system. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, probably the biggest problem I've seen is the inability of Christians to truly, honestly read and consider other views and systems of prophecy. They tend to, if they want to go, Oh, what about this preterism? They'll go to their main teachers where they've learned their futurism or their premillennialism. Well, tell me about preterism. The problem is, is they're not getting the picture of preterism. They're getting a warped view that's filtered through a biased view. And the best way is, no, go and read preterists. And by the way, go and read amillennialists. Go and read premillennialists. Read dispensationalists. 
read the views from the actual people. Don't read the critiques. Yeah. Well, of course, read both. But you know, don't rely on the critiques of other views from your own view, because honestly, it's just not. It's it doesn't have integrity, and you might be surprised. Yeah. Uh, because that's what happened to me. You know, I yeah. was typical left behind guy. You know, I tip, believe in the basic left behind scenario. And and when I discovered there were these guys saying, "Hey." All this stuff about the tribulation, the Antichrist, uh, you know, the beast, that all happened in the first century. I'm like, that's heresy. <laughs> that denies the return of Christ. Yeah. And it's like, but, but what happened was, you know, when I started reading them, they started making their arguments and it started making more sense to me. And I started seeing through other, other eyes. And, you know, you can do that and still believe in your view, and that's fine, you know. But, but if you want to be honest and have a sense of integrity as a Christian, stop getting your understanding of other views through the biased eyes of your own. Read them through the other viewpoint. And that's where I believe is the strength of my own viewpoint. You know, I'm, I'm you know, of course, I'm the minority view. So uh, uh, in, in, in many ways, you know, there's the preterist view. Um, but uh, I and the minority view always wants that, right? They always want you to um, cons- read other viewpoints, but then when those who are in power have the dominant view, mm. they don't want to waste time on other views, right? Yeah. They, and, yeah. and they and they feel threatened by other views. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it's just like my my whole life changed when I just was open minded. And and by the way, I've changed my mind on multiple things from twenty years ago. You know, yep. related to prophecy that I believe so. I'm always open to changing my mind and, and realizing that, oh, you know, maybe I was wrong on this. And I, maybe I see it differently now, this way. So yeah. I, I, that's been a real sort of passion of mine, a real desire for the body to, yeah. to help them to do that. And that's yeah. why I want to be as gracious as possible. No, no. Uh, some, I'm not always. I'm not always. But um, <laughs> I respect even, it. even I respect with those it. who aren't. Yeah. I, I, I definitely grew up with that Hal Lindsey theology myself. And uh, I, I remember the overall, you know, and I'm using broad strokes here, but the overall feeling I remember as a child watching a lot of videos like A Thief in the Night or A Distant Thunder, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I saw those. Was uh, like, looking back now, I'm like, that's abuse. I would never subject my children to something like that, uh, bereft of any kind of context of anything. But what that does as a child, it, and what it did in me was it, it you know, it, in me, what it did is it created this bias that this stuff that we're even talking about. Now, yes, I would have probably called any of these views anti-Semitic because everything for us hinged on the political state of Israel in 1948. I remember yeah. that moment, uh, my mom telling me when that happened in 1948 and just how important that was to our faith. And I never understood it, but everything hinged on it. Everything hinged on it. <laughs> and it, it's still a strong, um, uh, it's ju- it has a strong pull to this day. You know, yeah. I mean, it wasn't uh, maybe a couple of years ago, I walked in my mom's house and I walked right through the front door and boom, there's this huge flag of the Israeli state. And I'm like, wow. Like, hey, mom. <laughs> I'm like, where's the, uh, you know, she's like, what do you think? I got one for you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, you know, where's the American flag or even a uh, Puerto Rican flag or whatever? Yeah, yeah. But why that one? So, but I understood why. 
And then, you know, kind of, uh, I read this book by this guy who was a Christian missionary. I, I believe he was even evangelical. He went to what we call today as Palestine, right? Because even that today is a taboo word to say, right? And he was, he was uh, being a missionary there. And it wasn't until he understood those people there and got to know the people there that he realized that there were all different types of people there. Jews, you know, uh, Semitic people, all, all different types, Orthodox, all different types of backgrounds are living there. That he realized that you can't pull the rug from underneath someone. Theology, symbolically, whatever, politically, you can't just pull the rug out from under someone without giving them somewhere safe to land on you just yeah. pull it out and they just fall you know of course they're good way uh, to put it our knee-jerk reaction is just going to be anger and we're going to just double down on whatever our dogmatic belief was and when he said that man like a light bulb went off for me i'm like wow i'm like it moves like this yeah you yeah. know and I, yeah. I think that's how the kingdom works and yeah so, but you know like i say I, honestly i think I think we all have to really become more gracious about it because I, I've even said, I've even said extreme statements about you know views that I disagree with that mm -hmm. I now say, man, I probably shouldn't say that because even if I believe it, by the way, I'm not saying you shouldn't believe, have strong convictions about the falseness. I mean, I do believe there there are dangerous ideas, but once you realize that, like, if you get to the point in life where you realize, you know. I've changed my mind about very significant things over mm -hmm. my life. People think they're always right about everything. They're arrogant and, and maybe you can't get through them. But yeah. I've gotten to the point now where, you know what? I've changed my mind 180 degrees about many beliefs throughout my life. So if that's the case, I better be humble enough that I may be wrong on any view I have right now. Mm. And that's why, even though I, I do have some, I can make some strong accusations about the beliefs that I don't agree with. I almost, my goal is, is to make fewer and fewer of those strong accusations and to make it easier and easier for people to change their minds by simply f staying focused on the content, yeah. on the argument and avoid the accusations. Yeah. Because yeah. think about it. Someone calling me anti-Semitic when I know I'm not anti-Semitic. Right. That's like, I'm not going to, why should I listen to what they're saying? They have no clue about reality. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like someone calling you racist because you're white. Like, <laughs> are you going to listen to what they say? when no. they, It's obviously, if they can't understand the most primary, simple, elementary truth, why would you believe them? But if you have someone who's, who you don't know what they really think about, the, you know, the danger of what your beliefs are. But they're just trying to persuade you and say, look, here's why I think you should believe this way. Here's why this view is superior or whatever. Here's why I think this view is better, right? Yeah. Aren't you more likely to listen to that view no matter what view you have? Sure. Yeah. It's, just, it's just common human decency and civility. And that's what is lacking in a lot of our prophecy debates. Mm. And, um, you know, other than just simply being ignored and dismissed by, you know, <laughs> there's only one way of understanding the Bible. This is the biblical way. Everything, everything else is just man-made I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard people say, I don't follow man-made beliefs. Like, well, yes, you actually, you are. And you just think you're calling it scripture, but you don't realize it's a man-made belief with a tradition behind it, right? Yeah. And it's just like, you know, but if we can pull away from these extremes mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. and seek to, to find 
you know, to, 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 to have a respectful dialogue. Yeah. I think we're, we're going to get further along yeah. in, our, in our talk. And I, by the way, I'm speaking, I'm, I'm speaking from desire. I've failed. Sure. I've blown it. Uh, you can probably show me videos of me being, you know, a jerk and making accusations <laughs> about views. I'm working on it and I'm trying to be more gracious and, and trying to be, you know, just yeah. trying to be. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's why, and by the way, that's why I think preterism wins because it's so biblical that yeah. the focus is so scriptural that it just, it just, what are you going to do? You know, yeah, let me yeah. give you a perfect example. Cause I mean, speaking about this generically, so so there's this, there's a view, you know, Revelation, you know, the highly symbolic book. And, and you know, one of the big themes in Revelation is the harlot, right? What's the harlot? The, mm. the harlot of Revelation, right? And by the way, as you know, there are many Protestants who argue that the harlot is the Roman Catholic Church. They, they do. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, Aaron, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Reformation people did. Right. Some of, you know, Calvin and some of those guys believe that, you know. Um, so, so... You know, um, so I've had debates on this, right? And and I've even recently just heard of a, a you know a, a scholar who I re, who I respect actually, and and they resort to this sort of like this, you know. So so what is the harlot, right? So there's many different views. Uh, the harlot rides the beast. Those who believe it's in the future, right? They're going to go, well, you know, it's, it's America, right? You know, yeah. uh, and they give all their speculative arguments. Uh, some of them believe it's Islam, you know, or whatever. And then some of the people who look at the past, they say, well, a lot of scholars have argued it's Rome. And they make arguments for why they think it's Rome. And then preter most preterists, of, uh, you know, not all of us, but th there's a large contingency of us who argue that the harlot of Revelation is first century Israel. Mm. And, and it's not just saying, well, here's what I think it means because it fits in with my system. It is the most biblically based argument of all. And yet I've been in debates. And like I said, I've heard scholars make this argument of, of or accusation of antisemitism. It's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, where are you getting this idea? Antisemitism, because you're saying, Basically, what we're saying is the first century generation of Christians or Christians of Jews who rejected Messiah and killed him. That's, you know, the New Testament says that, not us. It's not, you're not a white supremacist to say that. Right. <laughs> but, but the point is, is that the first generation, Jesus said, this generation is wicked because it rejects Messiah and will kill me and it will be judged, right? So, so we're, we make the argument that, they, you know, basically we make the biblical argument right? And the biblical argument is, what does this word harlot mean? Is it just the, uh, an insult like calling you a bitch? Oh, she's a bitch, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. it's a specific yeah. term and it means something. And specifically, harlot is not a prostitute who does sex for money. If you look at the meaning of that term in Greek, it can include a wide berth of things, of course. But when it's used by the Old Testament prophets, it is used many, many times, and it is used as a reference to the, an unfaithful wife, right? Yep. And so it's not just this arbitrary insult. It's actually, well, who's an unfaithful wife? Well, a wife is covenanted to a husband, isn't it? Yep. Now, when you look in the, the history of the Old Testament, that concept is used by the, by the prophets 
um, many, many times about Israel. Yep. Israel, my unfaithful wife, my harlot, yep. my adulterer, my, you know, over and over again, like dozens of times by all, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they all use that concept. Israel is a harlot because she's unfaithful. Why? Because she has sex with other gods. That's, that's the concept in Ezekiel, yeah. literally. Yeah. So it's when you worship other gods, it's like you're being unfaithful to your husband, Yahweh. Who is the one net, uh, entity in the Bible, Old Testament who is covenanted to God as a wife? Only one, Israel. Yeah. Mm. Now, so that concept would, so biblically speaking, it makes sense that, that all it fits Israel. So maybe it's first century. Oh, oh and, and lo and behold, first century Israel was accused by Jesus of being unfaithful and of, of killing Messiah and would be judged. And so it makes biblical sense to say that. And by the way, the prophets said that, not us, right? Um, and, well, and so then these, well, these well, future well, views, I've heard them, like I said, in my own debate where they're like, well, that's anti-Semitic. It's like, what are you talking about? If, if you're calling the first century Jews who killed, who killed Christ, that's the only generation that's guilty. Yeah. It's not saying all J Jews after that are, are Christ killers. No. Right, right, right. That's not saying it at all. It's saying the first century. And by the way, Jesus is the one who said that. So if you think that's anti-Semitic, you're calling Jesus anti-Semitic. Who was a Jew? He's the one who said, this generation <laughs> right. is wicked for killing Messiah. Yeah. If you call that anti-Semitic, you're calling all the prophets of the Old Testament anti-Semitic yeah. because they all called Israel a harlot. Well, look at Hosea. So, Ho Hosea yeah, went so it, well, well above that, right? Where he actually yeah. married. <laughs> so, yeah. So God um, told him to marry a, pro a, a harlot to, and she was unfaithful to him to prove how unfaithful Israel was to him. Or not to prove, but to show here's how it feels, right? Yeah. So all this stuff, like, for you to conclude that that's anti-Semitic is itself possibly anti-Semitic, you know what I mean? <laughs> because it's like, it's like you're calling the apostles and prophets of God and Jesus himself anti-Semitic. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be in your position, right? So I can, I can, I can, you know, throw that back on them. But that's an example of what I'm saying where it's like, can't we just say, well, no, here's what I think it means based on the Bible. And the preterist view actually is the strongest view because it, you know, it's the only one that has the Old Testament basis for what it's saying. No other entity. So you, it can't be America. It can't be Babylon. It can't be Rome. Because it can't be the Roman Catholic Church. Well, may, oh, you might maybe you might argue that Roman Catholic Church has a covenant with is covenant with God with Yahweh. But my understanding, as I see the Bible, is that the the body of Christ is covenanted to Yahweh. Mm -hmm. So you could make the you could make the argument that that's a harlot, and and some some futurists do right. So so they would at least have a better a better. Um, argument than people are saying it's Rome or ancient Rome. Because a lot of them would say it's ancient Rome. It's like, no, it's not. It couldn't possibly be ancient Rome. It couldn't possibly be America. Because even though people say, oh, America has a Christian heritage, but biblically, it didn't have a covenant with Yahweh. Only one entity had a literal covenant with Yahweh, and that's Israel. And then in the New yeah. Testament, the body of Christ is covenanted as a wife. So you could argue in that realm if you want to, as it's apostatizing, Okay. And then we would have to debate, but most views aren't in that camp, right? And yeah. and 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 the dominance of the views, um, you know, 
deny that it's first century Israel. And yet that's the most perfect fit of all of them, right? And so that that's one example where, where I've seen this sort of like, wow, this pol- not just polarization and accusations of, of something that is like, they can't, I think it's because they see the power of the biblical argument mm. and it frightens them and, and they have to be able to dismiss it as morally evil so that they don't have to consider it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so here's the interesting, another interesting fact about that. So there actually are two entities in the Old Testament, other than Israel, that are called harlots. They are Nineveh mm. and Tyre. And so th- this is where some, some of the scholars will go to. This. Ah, see, those aren't Israel and they're called harlots. However, look at the context. If you've got, think of context. It's, it's a primary biblical hermeneutic. Whatever is the most dominant view, or I'm not dominant view, whatever is the most dominant, clear uh, interpretations should uh, take precedent over ambiguous or questionable or exceptions, right? Yeah. So if you look and you see dozens of times harlot is used of an unfaithful wife, Israel is the wife of, it, of God, Yahweh. Clear dozens of examples. Then you see two examples and they're calling a harlot. It doesn't fit the pattern. You should, you, sure, you should think, well, what's, the, what's, what's going on here? No problem. But you interpret those two exceptions to the rule, yeah. not, therefore, those two exceptions become the rule. Right. And that's what people are so used to. They just try to find their exception, and then they make the exception the rule. But lo and behold, if you look into it, you, you find out Tyre, uh, I would argue this, that those two nations were covenanted to, to Yahweh in some way. That's why they could be called harlots. Why? Nineveh, remember, uh, Jonah? Nineveh repented. Yep. Which means they followed Yahweh. So they were covenanted to Yahweh. So when it's talking about the current Nineveh, at, you know, when it talks about current Nineveh, one of the prophets mentioning Nineveh as a harlot, that's a later date where they've turned away from God again. So they were covenanted to Yahweh. And then Tyre was covenanted to Yahweh in the sense that the king Hiram helped Solomon build the, the, <laughs> the very temple of God, right? So what's the temple? The incarnation of the old covenant. So Tyre was considered covenanted to God, Yahweh, in some way. And so that's why, it, okay, so now it makes sense why they, those would be the only two examples other than Israel that are called harlots in the Old Testament. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. You can't just say, well, there's 20 references to uh, Israel and then there's these two pagans. So therefore, you can, you can use harlot against about any pagan. Well, wait, 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 why? You know, context. So, so these are the, the kinds of things that, that I find, you know, fascinating, interesting. And why... We need to um, we need to try to deal with ideas and and try to avoid the accusations as much as possible. Yeah. And I mean, you know, look, if if if, if you, you know, maybe there are some beliefs that are serious and need to be accused of being something. Okay, but let's just be more careful about jumping to that because mm-hmm. it's just you may make yourself out to be more absurd than you realize. And that's, that's the harlot of Revelation is one of those classic examples that I think expresses that. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And that's definitely a divisive one as well. <laughs> Whew, that's deep. Yeah. That's good. First, a message from our sponsors. 
Hey, it's Gumby here from Bible Over Brews. Are you looking to get some editing done in your podcast? Maybe you don't have the hours or time it takes to edit your content, but you still need to get it done. Maybe you need a customized track or a song for your podcast or your next project without having to worry about copyright issues. Well, look no further than soulworkmusic.com, where this footwork is done for you. I'll get that editing post-production work done right for you or create you that customized song that fits your project or podcast to help support your life's work. If this sounds like what you need, reach out to me at soulworkmusic.com. Again, at soulworkmusic.com. And remember, there's nothing taboo over brew. Because I can't tell you how many times I've heard, in fact, there's certain huge entities out there now, uh, you know, scholarship, uh, that um, that talk about the horror of Babylon and stuff and how it's Rome. So, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I, I'm not, look, if I was a Catholic, I would have no problem engaging with that I can see, okay, I can see why someone's making that argument, okay? Yeah. Uh, I would disagree with it, yep. and I would try to discredit it, you know, biblically. Um, but, but you know, like I say, I have people calling me heretic all the time, too. So I'm like, okay, okay, that's fine, but let's talk about the issue. Let's talk about the issue. Don't have a problem with someone uh, with someone saying, I think that the, har- the whore Babylon is Roman Catholic Church. Um don't have a problem with that because it may be true. Who knows? You know what I'm saying? Like you have to consider the fact that maybe there's something you didn't catch and, and try to stick with the ideas and with the biblical exegesis rather than this, you know, reduction to accusations. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking about uh, the accusations and I think a lot of it has to do with, Jewish people as a whole not wanting to be associated as Christ killers, right? And I'm thinking back to Mel Gibson's passion. He was fought at at every Ooh. corner. Mel Gibson. Oh, right, right. When he made the passion. I mean, every group came out of the woodwork to accuse him of being anti-Semitic. You know, you're labeling Jews as a Christ killer, this kind of thing. And uh they fought him at every turn, and I, I'm not sure if he bounced back from that. Maybe, you know, he, he has in some ways, but... Yeah, I don't think... He, I think the big problem was was his drunken, you know, drunken stuff that went on. Yeah, you know? I mean, that... Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But 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 the movie itself, yeah, that's a good example, because in the Bible, he had one of the passages in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It says that the crowd responded when Jesus was being offered to be crucified... His blood be upon us, right? Yeah, yeah. And he had that. That's in the Bible. Yeah. And of course, he was. Oh, he had that in there. So he's anti-Semitic. They specifically the, asked him to take that out, didn't they? Yes. And yes. by the way, he did. And and I understand. You know, look, if you're trying, if if you can't win, no matter what, mm-hmm. we all balance our priorities, right? And and right. I'm willing to give up some things if I can help persuade on others. Sure. So we all have to make those decisions. But technically speaking. Um, that doesn't make him. That doesn't make him anti-Semitic at all. No. What you're, what he needed to say is, that's in the Bible. So you're not accusing me of being anti-Semitic. You're accusing the apostles of Jesus, and Jesus himself of being anti-Semitic, because yeah. the apostles, or uh, uh, you know, whatever the, the followers of Christ who wrote the New Testament, right? They wrote that. Right. So and guess what? They were Jews. 
Yep. So you're calling Jews anti-Semitic. I'm simply telling you what other Jews said. And, and so the whole absurdity of it comes into light when you, when you realize that you're calling the Bible anti-Semitic. The Bible was written by Jews who were persecuted by other Jews because they believed in a Jewish Messiah. Who's the anti-Semite here, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. so, uh, but I also understand he, you know, he had a, he was yeah. in a situation where- He had other situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if he cuts that one thing, <laughs> that movie is still awesome. I probably would have cut it too. Just, yeah. just to, to, because he was in a bad predicament of, right. of these other things he had done and said, he needed to balance it out to, sh- to prove, uh, okay, I'm not, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's fine. So it's one, one ver- you know, it's one little phrase, who cares, you know? Right. Uh, but technically speaking, it's like, no, actually- you're accusing the Bible of being anti-Semitic. Right. You know, one of the things I love is people always, you know, love to say this, like, Jesus was a Jew. It's like, that's the time you say, well, guess what? Yeah, the apostles were Jews too. So you're accusing the apostles of being anti-Semitic, yeah. which is pretty much absurd, right? And I've heard that argument yeah. specifically with the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention the, all of their followers, because there's, what, a, of the outer circle, 120 disciples, which were predominantly all Jewish. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's guilt yeah. by association. If you believe in a New Testament, Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing is, like, in terms of politics, I'm actually a conservative, and I actually do support uh, the modern state of Israel, their right to exist and their right to fight to survive and their right as a sovereign nation. Um, I don't base it on biblical principle. I don't base it on biblical prophecies. Mm-hmm. I base it on biblical principles of once a, a, a nation state uh, is able to achieve its sovereignty recognized by the other nation states, it's like, Boom! They've got all the right to do to to you know protect themselves as anybody else, and I and they're the only democracy in the Middle East, and I believe that we need to support that in order to protect ourselves. So I support Israel, you know, politically and and you know geopolitically and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean, but that doesn't make them um, God's chosen. It just means yeah. that um, you know, and 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 you know, and I even I even do have a special love for them, knowing that. Christianity comes out of Judaism, even though Judaism is um, is an old covenant that has been replaced or destroyed and ob- uh, obliterated by the new covenant, right? Even though yeah. that's true, mm. uh, I still have a special love for them because um, because of that. Uh, and and but um, the real evil is for Christians who are so committed to thinking that they're still the chosen of God, um, whereas the church is, is the chosen of God. But if they're still, no, they're still the special people of God that God has God's favor on them, that therefore whatever they're doing, even if it's immoral, is acceptable. Like, you know, if they break the law or if they commit some kind of criminal activity against other people, you know, Palestinians or whatever, um, that it's okay because... God's behind them. Yeah. That's true evil. Yeah. That's literally taking the name of the God, God in vain. Um, now I don't know that there's there's you know I don't have an agenda behind that. I don't know that, I don't know of any example where they've done where Israel has done that. But um, but if there is where they are, are if they if Israel has engaged in criminal activities, they should be called out on it. Sure. Um, yeah. But as as it stands, I I don't you know. As any other nation think. should rightfully be held yeah. at that same, yeah, yeah, As, yeah. yeah. It just just like we can, you know, 
We can uh, we can condemn America's actions in Afghanistan for how they did the pullout. It's ultimately Joe Biden, what he did, it's what he did, but he's the president of the country and it's America that's doing that. Whether, you know, we can't just say, oh, it's just Joe Biden. It's like, mm. no, it's America and, and that's, a, that's a wrong and, and, yeah. and we've done them wrong, sadly. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, if you believe you should be, they should pull out, the pullout was wrong. The way it was done is completely wrong and immoral. Yeah. And, and, and so, so whether you believe they should stay there or leave, uh, it was done wrong. Yeah. And so, so I can say that and argue it, and I can say that America has wronged Afghanistan, even though I, I'm confident that it's, it's just the Democrats and it's you know, Joe Biden, because you know, none of us support that. None of the Republicans do or conservatives do. Yeah. Um, but we're a nation, and so... I'm willing to, I'm, I have to say that. I have to take that as a nation. There's a certain sense in which, even though I didn't vote for that evil bastard, <laughs> still, it, we are part of the nation and, right. and we should decry the evils, yeah. Yeah. but acknowledge, yeah. but we're kind of part of it. You know, that's the, there is a, there is a collective responsibility. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, to an extent. I would, does that make sense? I would, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough to, to oh, deal is. with. It is. But yeah. To an extent, I would blame four presidents. <laughs> so, because uh, really, it was mishandled for the last twenty years. Yeah, back in two thousand, so, yeah. No, and, and look, I don't even want to get into political debate because no, I've right, heard right. I've heard conservatives debate yeah. that we should have left or that we should stay. So even yeah. within conservative circles, which is what I am, yeah. it's like you can still have disagreement over that. Absolutely. But the real issue is, but well, what was done? Yeah. Was that moral? Yeah. And the yeah. way that it was way that it was done was completely criminal. Um, and impeachable because he's leaving Americans to die. And even yeah. if you believe we should be gone, you don't abandon Americans to die. Right. So, right. you know, that, that to me, it, that's the moral issue that's going yeah. on here. The political about, yeah. you know, national yeah. security and should we stay in, you know, yeah. whatever. All the politics of the history of Afghanistan and all those things. I realize that there's two, argu there's two sides on that. Oh, yeah. And I, I actually mm. don't know where I stand, to be quite honest, because I've heard both sides. I'm like... Yeah, there's good arguments on both sides, but I yeah. do know yeah. that you don't you don't um, abandon a country to terrorists and let yeah. Americans die. Well, I and I think he took rightful flack actually from both sides continuously on that, which was well deserved, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's one of those few times in history that both sides are calling him out for making a bad decision. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, especially for a Democrat. I mean, obviously it happens all the time when for Republicans, but Democrats are so loyal to their to party that they're very rare that they would be willing to come out. And you're right. I agree that there are some that are standing up and speaking out about that. And I'm grateful for that because it is, it is really bad, but it's our bad. You know what I mean? It's America's bad yeah. in that sense. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I have to accept that. Yeah. Right. Just like it's America's bad, our country, my country that I'm a part of, and we're responsible and we should be judged for the million babies a year that we murder. Oh, absolutely. We should be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, I've done everything to fight against it, and it's not me, yeah. but it's our country. You know? Yeah, at some point, mm. at some point, we're definitely going to do an episode on that because I was a little floored. I started doing some background research on it, and I was a little bit floored of what the evidence is that I found out for it because the fact that Roe versus Wade was written by a Republican and then passed by Republicans, and one of the oh. One of the only people that stood up against Roe versus Wade was a Democrat. <laughs> really? Yep. So wow. 
And not to mention the fact that they could have really reversed it at any given time because we had a Republican majority for almost 50 years. And I know. they never I did. Know. They never reversed it. Yeah. That just tells you that yeah. that that corporations and their lobbyists play far heavier than anybody wants to admit. Mm. Very good point. Then you're, calling, well, thing you're, you're calling our democracy something different then. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. That, yeah. That's- <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, the same thing. When, when Trump was in power, actually, there was a period where Trump... And wasn't, didn't we have, didn't the Republican, we, didn't Republicans have both the House and the Senate for a short period of time? My point. <laughs> and they never did anything. They didn't even they touch They never it. did anything to, but now that when you see what the Democrats do and they get in complete control, which, you know, so, yeah. you know, I, I'm not really, a, I, I don't like a lot of Republicans, but um, I'm not really a big Republican guy, but I know the Democrat party is completely the party of evil, but but what they've done is like when they get in power, they like they destroy everything, man. They just go, they don't care. They just do it. And I'm like, why don't the Republicans ever do that, man? You know, because like you said, I think a lot of them are are still owned by corporations and, and money and power and all that stuff. Yep. Exactly. I mean, yeah. think about it. If we can increase our government and our war spending by eight hundred percent, but not back things like bringing down abortion bills that tells you where the money is right so yeah, yeah that's how that's how the italian dictator uh dictator mussolini defined what fascism was he called fascism was the merger between corporate and state power having complete yes. full political control yes that's and that's why it. i that's why i believe that this is not rhetoric we are literally in a fascist state right now yeah, yeah. and and it's just and it's not rhetoric it's not extremism. It's just no. That's the definition it's of fascism. The reality, it's corporate, right. yeah. corporate government. Yeah. Yeah. I would go as far as to say a fascist oligarchy, because yeah. oligarchy is defined by corporations running a country, and I really see us as a country ran by corporate America. Touche. Isn't so. oligarchy the rule of the elite, the few kind of thing? So yeah, and, yeah. and that's what they are. Yeah. It's the Jeff Bezos and all. Mm-hmm. You know, like what was it the other day? I just saw like they, he had like. Biden had like the the CEO of Pfizer come up and speak at the presidential podium. It's just like, yeah, what? Wonder, wonder <laughs> like, why? And that's why they approved. <laughs> Fi- oh, I wonder why they approved Pfizer so quickly. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so corrupt and so wicked. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much oh, time yeah. on politics. No, well, that's that's good. But though. before we end, fun Bezos fact. So not only does he not spend any money on taxes. He got a child tax credit last year for four thousand dollars. Oh my god! <laughs> You're really? kidding. Okay, we can move on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why couldn't he just stay in space, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, you know that whole space race thing. I mean, in principle, I'm not against it. I actually think that you know, rich people do lead the way. They are the ones who have the money to break through and do the th- special things at first. Right. It was the rich people who who got the flat screen televisions at first okay but it was them uh you know starting that that enabled ultimately it 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 it, uh it does trickle down and 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 so in principle that's that's totally fine but spiritually speaking so you know the whole (laughs) yeah you know millionaires going billionaires going to space and stuff i I don't actually have a problem with that i think it's going to help us but if you think about spiritually what's going on i in in their world i think that 
These billionaires have, have they, wanted, they got all the money that they need. Now they got all the power and it never ends. Yeah. Man wants to be a God. Yep. Sure. And so what it means to be a God is, you know, uh, it's having power over other, having power over everyone else, doing what you want sure. above all the others, doing whatever you want, whenever you want to. Um, but it's also controlling others. Mm-hmm. But it's also doing what others cannot possibly do. Going in space, no one else is able to do that. You are the one who's going into space. Mm. And also, it's the desire to live forever. It's, yeah. you know, they are on, on the forefront of trying to do the kind of things that will make, you know, so, okay, I got all the money, I got all the power, but I also want to be remembered in history, right? Yeah. And it's all these things of, of related to, I think, deification, you know? And many of them are also putting a lot of money into, you know, um, transhumanism, trying to yep. you know, upload your souls to computers and all that kind of stuff so that, that you can live on. And, and that's part of that deification per- pursuit. But I do think that the billionaires are a class of, of um, self-deified people. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they are seeking godhood. They yeah. really do. They well, really are. Is that any different from the ancients? You know, because the emperor yeah. of Rome is a god, right? So the emperor of China yeah, is a god. <laughs> yeah, they were more literal about it in a way, right? Yeah. But now in a secular world that doesn't believe in the spiritual realm but they do believe in transcendence mm. and they do believe in deity. Yeah. They just use a, a secular understanding of deity, but it's still deity. It's deity. The human nature for power isn't what's surprising to me when it comes to a, a Bezos or a, or a Bill Gates or whoever, or Warren Buffett or a Soros. I mean, because if I was presented with that kind of money and power, I couldn't say honestly that I wouldn't be where they are. I don't know. I really don't know. But what is surprising to me throughout history is our willingness to always worship them and believe whatever a Bill Gates yes. or whoever says. Like, that is remarkable. Like, that millions would just worship Bill Gates as if he's this, you know, all of a sudden, this prophet almost of medicine. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. Pick, well, I, I don't get it. Or, or not just to pick on Bill Gates or anyone like that. Oh, no. oh I'm sure you're familiar with American Gods, right? Uh, Neil Gaiman. Yeah. And it's, I think it's brilliantly told, right? Because think about it. It's the power of the people and their belief in those things that grant them the power, right? And exactly. It's, yeah. But the void in us to keep putting them there instead of finding the God. We're still doing it. Yeah. Absolutely. No, you're right. Everything gets back to original sin in that sense. Um, but I, yeah, I've watched the American Gods. Now, I've stopped after three seasons, I think, because I've lost interest in it. it it's kind of convoluted, confused, and I don't think they know where they're going with it. Yeah. Um, they the, had a, the first season was interesting. They had a specific yeah. intent, and I obviously, well, you know. Yeah, the first season was more based towards the book, and they've kind of diverged the, from that. Oh, it did. I know I haven't read the book, so I don't know. But, yeah. but it, it, I agree with you that it's a fascinating concept, it, and it did bring me. You know, it like the first season was was really interesting. Then the second season, I'm just like, eh. yeah. But I came back to it later, and I watched it. I don't know. No, I didn't get to season three. I was just in the middle of season two. But I do love the concept of it because, like what you said, it. In fact, that's what my novels are too, is my novels, I have 
the false gods draw their power from worship yeah. of humans, and yeah. that's why they want to get them away from God. And it's like, right. and 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 American gods does that. It's a secular version of that, right? Because yeah. it's like it's metaphorical and mythological, right? <laughs> um, but it's still truthful, right? I mean, I'm okay with that fact that yeah, yeah. It's like these gods, you know, like I love the concept of like, they think you know the old gods and the new gods, right? And the new gods are like. You know, this these these gods of like um media, yeah. you know, and technology right, and right. stuff like that. And the old gods are like Odin and stuff, but there's a battle between them two. I mean, I think that that does metaphorically describe what we're going through spiritually in this world. And I agree. and yeah. and I love the fact that like we are very this is very religious world, even though we deny it. Mm-hmm. The truth is they're gods, media. Yeah. All yes. these little techno gods, they're gods, man. Yeah. I love that about, I love the concept about American gods and I agree with that and it's brilliant. And, and um, um, my only complaint would just be, it's just not very good storytelling. I've kind of lost interest because it's not it, very good storytelling. Yeah, it, it, if you go back, the, the book is actually much better. Um, the really? fir- yeah, the first season's really close to the book. Second season starts to diverge from it, obviously, um, because there's a clear goal and a clear picture all throughout the book. So, uh, they on uh, Audible they actually have a uh, a serialized version of the book where everybody has their own voice. It's it's like listening to a movie. It's very well done. Interesting. Yeah, it's very well done. Um, I would actually suggest that one if you're going if, if you're going to dive into that story. I would suggest the Audible book over the uh, video series. It's okay. much, it's much much better. Um, but yes, I, I would say that the only one who tells that story better is you know you. So. Well, thank you, thank you. I am jealous, though, obviously, because it's like you know they're never going to make mine into movies, obviously. But, but, um, but yeah, but I can appreciate. It's like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. You know. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a question I, I did have for you, Brian, in in regards to you moving to Texas versus being out of the, you know Hollywood and the whole quote unquote movie industry and and all the support and connections that may be there. Does that translate for you there in Texas, like? Do you still have a lot of the same support and connections or how, how does that work for you there? Yeah, well, um, I do think I'm going to lose some connections in some ways. Um, in other ways, no, it's like, okay. it's up to me. If I, you know, mm. if I want to keep up with the connections I had in LA, I could meet with people, but the truth is I didn't meet with them much anyway, okay. you know? And if I want to keep up with people, it's up to me anyway. You know, you have to be the one to be contacting people. Hey, how you doing? You need, have any work you need? Or, hey, let's get together, have coffee. Yeah. You know, or, yeah. you know, you can still do that from a distance and keep in touch with people and all that. And especially in today's COVID world, it's definitely more workable. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, so in terms of losing that connection and all that, uh, there is somewhat less maybe. I don't care though, but but um, you can still maintain it, especially yeah. in my world of independent filmmaking, which is definitely not as like it's not like it is who you know and you gotta have connections. Um, but the independent world, it's they're not all in Hollywood. They're okay, just so not, you didn't have to be married to L.A. Yeah. Now, if I wanted to do it in Hollywood, yeah, you need to be there. Yeah. But I. They would fire me in an instant anyway. They, I couldn't get any work anymore from them. So yeah. uh, because yeah. I'm not woke, right? But um, mm. but interestingly, like Texas, like there are more smart, brilliant people here than I met in, in L.A. So I mean, like there's, you know, 
cultural people, culturally aware, PhDs, brilliant people. Like, uh, you know, yeah. Texas isn't Hicks, you know? Yeah. And a lot right. of, there's a lot of transplants here too. So culturally, it's, it's fine. You know, I mean, it's more of a normal world. LA is a bunch <laughs> of weirdos. I'm telling you, man, even the Christians are all weirdos. And I, I was becoming, <laughs> I had a little weirdoness mm-hmm. to me. I notice it when I'm around normal people here in Texas. Wow. Uh, but I'm like, I, I just, I just want normal people again now yeah. anyway, but for the last part of my life, I'm well, tired of the weirdos. If you ever want to do yeah. indie films in Ohio, let me know. I've, I've actually partaked, par, uh, partaken in uh, four different indie films here in, uh, in, in the Cleveland Ooh. area. Um, if you want, I'll send you a link to one of the ones that we worked on. Yeah. Oh, please um, do. Please do. Yeah. What city are you guys in? Cleveland. Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. Cause I have relatives, um, uh, that we see very occasionally, but, um, they are in Fairborn. Fairborn, Fairborn. I'm not sure. Where's that? I think that's way south of us. I'm not that familiar with Fairborn. Oh, okay. So. Anyway. I believe it's near Columbus. Oh, okay. Look so, it up. Yeah. Which isn't too far from But us. yeah, so Texas is, is a great place. There's a lot of diversity here. In fact, uh, there's more diversity. Uh, you know, this isn't just like all conservatives and stuff. There's liberals here. There's diversity of opinions. There's more diverse uh, racially than L.A. L.A. was very segmented and tribalized. Oh, wow. Uh, there's more integrated marriages here. You know, okay. Texas wow. is a far more tolerant environment than than la ever was racially as well as intellectually so um sounds like cleveland yeah i love all that there's there's you know and we got the better food man we (laughs) we got we got the best food here so awesome i'm happy with that oh i look forward to that (laughs) my wife would go in a heartbeat to texas if we if we could yeah and we got more guns here too (laughs) (laughs) I prefer revolvers, rifles, and shotguns. Are you a shooter, Brian? That's fair. <laughs> what? Are you a shooter? Do you shoot guns? Well, I am a Texan. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> hey, all right. Hey, we're, we're Texas in heart here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bought yeah. I bought a few things that you can't get in California. Yeah, <laughs> I, right, I, I, can't, it. I can't take my gun the, to California. So. Yeah, exactly. I, like yeah. the first couple weeks, basically, there, there was like gun shows every week and we're talking like covid right nice yeah. and wow i i got I, I went to gun shows like three weeks in a row until i got what i needed you know and it's like yeah baby sweet that's awesome <laughs> yeah i i swear by my for my my uh my 357 magnum so no, no, no. why <laughs> hey, wouldn't you i got one too man and those it's actually a great fallback it's a great support even if you get into you know, uh, Glocks and semis and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm never going to get rid of the revolver. I still shoot with it because it's like, I like it, man. It's solid. Yeah. It's never going to let you down, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it'll it stop one in, a person in one bullet. Right. I'll stop an evil mm-hmm. criminal in one bullet. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Won't, yeah. It won't jam. And it's uh, it won't jam. Yeah, <laughs> it's doggone accurate. You can't, you can't <laughs> even carry in California, can you? CCW. It's it's pretty hard to get there, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't even try. Like only rich people and celebrities could. Technically, you can, but you know they're not gonna. It's ah. like only you got have connections. That's what oh, I, so I didn't even yeah. try. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Man. you still can in Ohio, so at least absolutely that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I know because my relatives. Yeah. We're a firm believer <laughs> in it here at Bible Over Brews. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that being said, Brian. We want to know about where to find all of your material 
because obviously yeah. at Gadawa.com, I know you have a plethora of uh, subject matter and materials and books to find. Where else can we find yeah. you? You know, go to Godawa.com and I've got everything there if you want to learn more about me. But also, it gives you a chance to sign up for my updates. I don't spam and stuff like that. So, um, uh, but if you're interested, you know, anything new that I come out with, I let my email list know first so you can sign up there. Um, but, you know, if you just, if you go to Amazon, I sell all my books are on Amazon in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. And if you just go, go, you know, look at my name, you'll, you can find my author page and I have all my books there and I have all the descriptions so you can learn everything about me on Amazon. Just go straight to the source if you want. But if, but I do have a lot of materials on Godawa.com. You know, you can click on the tabs, find my various um, series and I'll, I'll have things like I cast my series. I have pictures of, of my characters in my novels and I have little descriptions and I have a lot of free art, free. Also, if you're interested in the material that I write and you like you want to learn more. I've got a lot of free articles and scholarship and references to that on the website. So I try to provide a lot of resources there. But also, you know, um, yeah, you go to my store and there's a few extra things that you can't necessarily get at Amazon. Like I have some online courses um, on uh, at the end times. Are we living in the last days is the name of it. And like I said, it has all my all everything I do on the end times is in there and it's all preterist oriented and um, stuff, partial preterist, but, um, um, and then, um, yeah. And then Amazon. And so, yeah, that's, that's the case. And, and actually I found out my movie, <laughs> my movie to end all wars, which is the, the one I'm most proud of the true story about world war two prisoners starring Kiefer Sutherland. That's about, it's pretty old now, but but it stands up, man, and it's it's awesome. It's about how the Bible transforms these these soldiers' lives, and it's on free on YouTube, man. So go go watch it on YouTube, right? We're getting millions of views, so awesome. Check it out. It's like I'm really proud of it, and if you really want to see how the gospel, how the Bible, how Christian worldview is applied to storytelling in a way that's not cringeworthy, and you know, like all these cr- bad Christian movies, it just can't stand them. Uh, yeah, go check out To End All Wars on uh, YouTube for free. Sweet. Yeah, we'll make sure we post that link later. Yeah. <laughs> so any last words outside of that, Brian? No, thanks for having me on, guys. I look for. I'll let you know when I pleasure. when I finish my novel. I definitely want to. We'll talk about it again because there's a lot more to talk about, and it's going to be so cool. People are going to want to <laughs> buy it. So we'll. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know when it comes out in a few months. I'd like to also point out that Brian is also an audible as well, and he has an excellent narration job on all of his books. Like his voice characterization is phenomenal. So, <laughs> thank you. You do the narration yourself. Yes. <laughs> I can't afford I can't afford to pay for an actor. Why would you? Why would you? It's it's again, it's phenomenal. Yeah. All his characterizations, nuances, intonations are phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, definitely one of my very favorite voice actors in Audible. So. Cool. <laughs> Gumby? Hey, uh, there's nothing taboo over brew. Brian, thank you for your research. Thank you for your faith, for your journey. It's an inspiration for all of us and, and you know, just for your views. Um I think it's great for uh, people who were raised like me, evangelicals, with you know that dispensationalist mindset. I think it's important. Please, please, please listen to, and to Brian's work and um, with an open heart, open mind. And thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Thank and, you, guys. And please jump to all of us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. We're all over the place. You can find Bible Over Brews. 
on, uh, in fact, go to our website, bibleoverbrews.com or .org. Both can go to the same place. Please buy us some beers, donate, so we can keep bringing you awesome content. Thanks, and Godspeed. Peace.